Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode number 98. We're here. It's a beautiful Friday, end of another week. We're coming at you with another preview, this time for UFC 262. I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. Dom, a new lightweight champion will be crowned for the first time since April 7th, 2018. How are we feeling? You know, it's another month, and the UFC is just bringing it with another stacked pay-per-view card, if I'm being truthful with you. We mm-hmm. lost a great fight in Diaz and Edwards, but the card's still absolutely amazing. I'm so excited. As the days inch closer and closer, kind of like how you and I felt with Usman and Masvidal, we were disinterested and got super interested. Now, this main event I've been interested in for a while, but now it's like day by day. The Embeddeds are starting to come out. I watched the Countdown episode. I am so excited for this main event and the card as a whole. Absolute bonkers. And I get to see your beautiful face to watch it Saturday. That's a good point. That's a good point. Don't forget, we also lost Edmund Shabazian and Jack Hermanson. Also true. It's kind of, it's, uh, the MMA gods are really trying to to get us less excited, but how can you get less excited with the card as stacked as this one? Yeah, exactly. And I must add, being that you're coming here, I told you I would be 100% moved in and ready so you could see everything. And Noah, well, now we're recording this on a Wednesday. You're going to be here on a Saturday. I'm at about 96%. Are you impressed? Come on. Come on. I am a little bit. I'm a little impressed with that number. That's so such a random number. I love it. Hey, we went from 82 to 96, baby. Last time we talked, I believe I told you I was at like uh, 25, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, How are things up I think there? I, I think I've gone down. Oh, okay. I'm not <laughs> questioning I've, it. I think I've started moving stuff back on accident into my old house. So Nice, uh, nice. Um, yeah, but... I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna take a few days to go home, and then we'll get back to the whole movie right. stuff. Then you won't have back. to worry about making a trip again. You'll, you get your little weekend out of the way at home. Then you just go balls to the wall, get your stuff done. Mm-hmm. Of course. And now I think it's only right that we kind of move on and get right into uh, the news for today. Of course. A little cup of Joe, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I like it, Dom. <laughs> the cup of Joe with the Joes. We, you guys may I'm never just hear be that again. With the, I gotta. This may be an exclusive episode ninety-eight segment right there. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta be honest with the listeners. We were we were talking before this episode, and um, <laughs> Dom threw that out, and and this is not meant to be a, a diss at him because when I heard when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, that's good, cup of Joe." And then uh, once I said it, I felt really bad about myself. So And my ass doesn't even <laughs> drink coffee. This is so contradictive. Ugh. Anyways, let's get into some fight announcements here. First, I already just mentioned this fight, actually. Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazian. Supposed to be happening Saturday. We were supposed to be previewing it today. However, it's been postponed until May 22nd. So... We're still going to get it just relatively week. soon. Just a week. Just a week. And it really boosts up that yes. fight night card. Yeah, it does. That was already looking good because you got Cody Garbrandt, Rob Font, and you got uh, Jean, um, Jean and Jan Jaunan. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I always forget which one comes first. Jan Jaunan and Carlos Barza, a potential title eliminator for Rose's first title defense. So adding that fight there. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hating on it. I, it sucks that it's not on this pay per view card, but at the end of the day, this pay per view card doesn't really need it. Yeah, very true. I mean, it was on the prelims at one point in time, which is insane. It only got put on the main card because Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards fell through. However, now that this card's fallen through, or this fight, excuse me, has fallen through, now you get the flyweights yeah, on the main card. Yeah, we just get more ranked fighters. There's ranked fighters top to bottom on Saturday. <laughs> So yeah, um, not opposed to it, not upset by it, happy that they're turning them around quickly. Leave it there. Another fight that's been, got a confirmed new date. Amanda Hevas and Angela Hill, we were supposed to be talking, well we did preview yeah, we the fight, did, yeah. we were supposed to watch it and recap it last week. Um, it fell through at the, what do they call it, the 11th hour, yeah, because yeah. 
Amanda Hivas tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, the fight's been rebooked for June 5th. So we're going to have to wait a little bit. But overall, still just happy we're going to get to see it. At least hopefully, knock yeah. on wood. And, and we won't have to take any more notes for that one. We can just, you know, copy-paste, <laughs> that's all. Yeah, we won't even have to talk about it again. We can just copy and True. paste from yeah. the episode we talked about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, as far as some fresh fight announcements, because I think that's what oh, we're really oh, here oh, for. Oh, baby! Uh, fall, the fall is looking pretty nice, ain't it? Oh, it is. We start with a flyweight fight that had me very excited. Salivating at the mouth, Noah. Mm-hmm. August 21st, we will see the number three ranked Alexandre Pantoja going up against number six, Brandon Royval. AKA Raw Dog. Raw Dog, yes. He's back. And uh, Dom, my, my thoughts here that this fight is going to be really good. I'm really excited for it. Pantoja looking great lately. He had a really good performance over Manel Cape. Roy Val kind of burst out into the scene in 2020. Had a couple of really nice performances over guys like Tim Elliott and Kai Kara France. Did fall short against Moreno due to a kind of a freak injury. In a back and forth first round, I'm very excited to see Roy Valbag Pantoja. I think it's going to be a great fight. Yeah, man. I mean, we love our flyweights. We talk about it a lot, and this is the first kind of big fight announcement that's happened in a while for that division outside of the championship rematch. And I can't wait for that fight. I mean, honestly, that could turn into a number one contender outside of like Askar Askarov waiting for the winner of Moreno and Figgy too. So I'm super excited. Pantoja is a great stand up fighter but well-rounded in his own right, and the same goes for Roy Val. He's a submission ace, but he's not afraid to scrap on the feet. That's gonna be, That's honestly like a fight of the night contender already. I don't even need, need to see any other fights on the card. <laughs> well said, well said. A month after, so we're September, man. It's this is now crazy. the latest fight date I think we have so far of the year. September 25th, two months before my birthday. We get two of my favorite light heavyweights in action. Tiago Santos really trying to bounce back off a three-fight losing streak, going up against Johnny Walker, the one time, the one time the, the John Jones kryptonite, who has kind of fallen off his high horse a little bit, but coming off a big win over Ryan Spann. What do you foresee in this one? I foresee bombs. This should be nothing but violence here, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santos, I think, is really going to be on a mission in this one to bounce back after three straight losses. And Johnny Walker was super highly touted. Obviously had a couple losses there, but then did bounce back, as you mentioned, against Spann. Now looking to really earn his way up to the top with a win over Santos. I mean, he could skyrocket himself the highest he's ever been should he win here. So it's another fight. We got a guy that might be on his way out and a guy still trying to crack in the top five. Important fight for two totally different reasons. A lot of motivational factors here for both guys. I, that's that's an awesome fight. And uh, even if that turns into a main event, I won't be upset at that either. No, I think it's actually a worthy main event, especially yeah. if you just look stylistically. Yeah, uh, Both guys are so explosive, but it's in different ways. Tiago Santos, very heavy hands. The power on that guy is incredible. But he has potentially been slowed down a little bit with those knee injuries he suffered again in the John Jones fight, and et cetera. However, Johnny Walker is explosive with his speed. The guy is just so fast at light heavyweight and so wild. He's kind of, you know, if Yuri Prohaska didn't exist, he would. he's kind of what yeah. we, in a lot of ways, he's what we looked at, how we look at Yuri Prohaska now. That's how Johnny Walker was being looked at just two years ago. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And now you get to see these two guys go out. These are two of my favorite fighters in the entire division. One of them's going to have to lose. That's going to make me sad. But at the end of the day, it's the name of the game, and I'm going to be excited for a fight no matter what. Exactly. And it's even more important because that takes place three weeks after the light heavyweight title fight between Glover and Jan. So a lot of light heavyweight important fights in September. Very, very good point there. As for the rest, we start with a salute. Alan Joban. Oh, no, I know you're hurting. He has retired. I kind of foresaw this coming. Uh, Alan Joban, 8-5 UFC record. He's transitioned into a commentary role, so I'm very happy to see that he's still going to be uh, doing some of those pre-fight, post-fight 
um, stuff with people like Karen Bryant's names like that. So, um, you know, Alan Javan, four-time fight of the night winner. The guy's really had a low-key underrated career. He's beaten the likes of uh, Mike Perry. Um, that, you know, he just came off uh, Jared Gooden, I believe, was his last win. That fight was a war, too. Yeah, it was. It really was. That was a great fight. Uh, he's fought guys like Dwight Grant. Um, oh, what was uh, – why am I blanking on Gunnar Nelson? Gunnar Nelson's yeah. the one that kind of – I know this is more of a <laughs> – supposed to be a positive segment for Javan, but uh, he got the shit beat out of him in that fight. And, <laughs> but it was – man, Gunnar Nelson, what a, what a freak that guy was at one time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Alan Javan – I salute you. You're one of my, for some reason, he's always been one of my favorite guys. We just so happened to share a birthday. Yeah, your birthday buddies. Yeah, so I mean, salute to you. Excited to see that he's got a role within the company moving forward. Yeah, he's damn good on the booth, so I'm excited for that. (laughs) To see what more he can even take on now that he's done fighting, too. Mm -hmm. Here's a little one that's still kind of hot off the presses. Kevin Lee. We've been waiting for him to make his comeback. He last fought the very last card, or I guess the first card technically in the COVID era, but it was like the last one before we had that gap. And it was a weird card, let's put it that way. But he was headlining with Charles Oliveira in Brazil. Charles Oliveira put the the beat down on that boy, and that's how Charles kind of went to the heights he has now. Yeah. Coming off that loss, though, Kevin Lee having a lot of injury problems. We've been kind of waiting to see when's he coming back. I believe he even tore his ACL back in the fall. So, been a while since we've heard anything about Kevin Lee. Well, he decided to sound off on Twitter quite a bit, saying he's moving to welterweight, a division that is not unfamiliar to him. He has fought there previously. But... Dom, do you see this second attempt at welterweight going any better than the first? Let's just remember that his first attempt kind of fizzled out a little bit. I mean, maybe it just depends on this Kevin Lee 2.0. Just maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely a big guy for 155, has struggled to make the weight down there. So I don't think it's a bad idea by any means. I think he's a very uh, tough stylistic matchup for a lot of fighters, no matter which division he chooses because of his wrestling pedigree but his ever-improving striking. Uh, Just ask Gregor Gillespie about that. So I think he could make some moves. I know he even called out some specific guys. Mike Perry comes to mind first. I mean, that seems like it would be a pretty good stylistic matchup for him to bounce back into welterweight with. So I think... Did you see who he got called out by? I'm not trying to cut you off. I just don't remember, but I know there was... Sean Brady. Sean Brady, yeah. So that would be a hell of a fight between two great grapplers. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think... Should his body just cooperate with him, 170 could be a, the new home permanently for Lee. So I, I'm excited to see. I'm just ready to see him come back. He really is a great fighter. You know, he's hit or miss with the fans. It depends. But I've always kind of liked the swag around him and stuff. He's a very confident guy. And uh, I'm just ready to see him back. Hopefully summer or fall of this year is what I would enjoy. Yeah, actually, I just looked it up. He had a one-fight run at welterweight. That was when he was in the main event against Rafael Dos Anjos, who RDA. was also at yeah. welterweight at the time. Yeah, uh, Looked good early, but gassed later, and Dos Anjos got the fourth-round submission win. So, I mean, then he went right back to lightweight, and that's when his first fight back is when he knocked out Gregor Gillespie. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it seems like he's definitely one of those guys. This is, <laughs> if there's a reason, if you could think of a reason to – Tell the UFC to insert a 165-pound division. It would be, Guys yeah. like Kevin Lee are the reason why. Yeah, the perfect in-between. Like, he's yeah. he's too big to be a lightweight. He's not quite big enough to compete with, like, the top five in welterweight right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Kevin Lee, a very talented guy overall. And, you know, we've, we've heard, we always hear the whispers of Kevin Lee has a championship mentality. He's a championship potential. It's always just about seeing it with him. He's kind of been a risk taker in his career, and that's caused him to lose more often than he's won in fights like Tony Ferguson fight, where he looked great early at top control, everything, only to get beat with a, I believe it was a head triangle. Yeah, I mean, Um, we are literally talking about a guy that fought for an interim belt not that long ago. 
Yeah, so I, I look forward to seeing what he does in this new division, but it's like more of a, I guess I'm just, I'm holding back some of my excitement just because I want to see how he looks and see how he performs. A fight with Sean Brady is a tough way to start. Yeah, yeah. I think a fight with Mike Perry might be uh, more what I'm looking for there for Kevin Lee, but we will see. And we got one more here, just kind of an update on something we talked about earlier this week. The PFL fight between Fabricio Verdum and Hennon Ferreira. For those of you that don't remember, this is the fight where Fabricio had Ferreira in a head triangle, correct? Yes. And then Ferreira tapped. Ref didn't see it. So Verdum loosens up on his choke. Ferreira slips out. And just pounds him. Hammer fist him to knock him out. Oblivion. And wins. Yeah, yeah. And also remember, Hidden Ferreira is the fighter who portrayed Fabrizio Verdum in a biopic once. Right, right. <laughs> um, however, this fight between those two has been overturned to a no contest by the New Jersey State Athletic Commission. And I think you just got to give a shout out to those guys for working quickly to resolve this. Yeah. We know what a pain some of these fighters have gone through, the lengths they've gone through and been put through, really to try to get these losses overturned or whatever it might be. Typically, the State Athletic Commission side with the referees and their decisions here. I thought it was a no-brainer, but you just never know for sure. They overturn it. I think it's the right move. Yeah, it, it's good to see, like you said, swift action. It typically is not like this. You usually don't see fights get overturned at all. It has to be very in-depth process, I guess. But... In the PFL, when you're fighting in a essentially a tournament style and you need points to advance up and get certain fights, stuff like this can't fly. So that's, I think, a reason it maybe did act so quickly and they did overturn it. Now both guys uh, have one point each because that's the rule for the PFL. Uh, if there's a no contest, it was obviously a zero for, for Doom because he lost and then a six for, uh, for Hera or, yeah, because he got a first-round finish and a win, so you get extra points and all the fun stuff. So, yeah, it's it's good for them. I'm excited to see what both guys will be matched up with next. Uh, I don't think they'll do the rematch just because it is kind of a tournament style. But the PFL is very unique. So, either way, I'm glad it happened. You hated to see that for Verdue making his debut and such a prominent name for the PFL. So, yeah, it's good news. Completely agree with you there, and hopefully we can... Hopefully this doesn't derail the PFL or cause too much of a hiccup in their season. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm going to side with Fabricio getting that overturned, and I'm happy to see that more than I am worried about the PFL season right, right now. That's going to wrap up today's edition of the News Cup of Joe, whatever you want to call it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll decide. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time to get into some fight preview here. Oh, UFC man. 262, I, I said it at the top, Dom, the first lightweight champion to be crowned in three years at this point. Yeah. The, the reign of Habib has came, and really this is going to be kind of the end officially the official of it. End. I know he's been, he's relinquished his belt, he's retired and all that, but it doesn't feel like it until you see a new guy getting that belt wrapped around his waist. Yeah. And I don't think there's two better options right now besides... <laughs> Dustin Poirier to be fighting for this honor. You know, there's other guys. I mean, this division's so stacked. Justin Gaethje deserves to be in there, guys like that. But at the end of the day, I'm happy to see this matchup. Two guys that have been fighting for a long time at a high level, both getting their chance to shine on the biggest stage. You can't really ask for any more than that. No, I mean, it's crazy. Oliveira coming into this fight with 27 UFC bouts. And now, just now, fighting for a title for the first time. What, Bisping holds the record with 28 fights, I think it took, to get to a title mm -hmm. shot? So, paid his dues, and for Chandler, just, yes, he's new to the UFC, and he's getting a title shot in his second fight, but this man has paved the way for lightweights for a decade now, paid his dues in other organizations, and, of course, Bellator, most prominently, was a former multi-champion there, now in the UFC, this fight is incredible matchmaking stylistically. There's nothing I could nitpick about this fight. I'm happy to hear that because I agree. Starting with our flyweights, top 15 guys going out of Matt Schnell, 
and Rosario Bontaran. Dom, take it away. Well, Mr. Matt Schnell is 15-5, and 5-3 five, five and three in the UFC. He's got two KOTKOs, eight submissions, nine of those ten finishes in the first round. Notable wins against Luis Smolka via submission, Jordan Espinoza uh, via submission, and a split decision. His most recent bout against Tyson Nam, a very fun technical boxing match there. Notable losses. He actually lost to Tim Elliott on the Ultimate Fighter Season 24 in the quarterfinals. As we all know, Tim Elliott went on to win that season and fight for a title against Demetrius Johnson. Uh, he has also lost to Rob Font via TKO and the aforementioned Alexandre Pantoja via KO. On the other end, Rogerio Bontarin, he's 16-3, and relatively new to the UFC with a 2-2 two and two record. He did make his way into the UFC from the Contender Series, so he got a win there. He's got three KO TKOs, 11 submissions, so that's 14 out of 16 via finish, and nine of those have came in the first round. While he doesn't have a huge notable win yet in the UFC, he has been in there with some great guys and has notable losses to Ray Borg via decision and got KO'd by Kaikar France. Noah, we love the flyweights, and this is another great example of a fun stylistic fight here. Yeah, you, you you said it, man. These are these are two guys that side with the grappling, and we love that kind of stylistic matchup because you never really know what that's going to lead to. Is one guy going to overtake the other on the ground? Are both guys going to kind of stand and trade? It, it can lead to really fun results when you have two guys whose greatest asset cancels each other out. However, if you look at the guy's weaknesses, they both kind of line up. Schnell and Bonteron, their chins have been testy at times. Now, Schnell has been more streaky with his chin. All three of his UFC losses coming via KO, Pantoja, Hector Sandoval, then Rob Font. While for Bonteron, his previous outing against Kai Kara France, a fight he looked so good in for the whole first round. And then Kara France knocks him out at the very last five seconds of the first round. So devastating. But Kai Kara France, big power for that division. So hard to, I guess, you know, really hold it against him. Um, I think that's ultimately going to be the difference in my eyes, though. Even though Bontron's less proven than Matt Schnell, I like, I still think his grappling holds up with Schnell. And if this fight does get into a war on the feet, if these guys are trading on the feet, um, I don't necessarily like either guy to finish this fight on the feet, but I do like for Bonteron to land the more meaningful shots and to ultimately get his hand raised. So I'm going to go Rogerio Bonteron via decision. No, I think we're getting the pay-per-view started off with a submission victory here. Uh, I think this is a great stylistic fight, but I'm really siding towards toward uh Rogerio Bonteron in this one Schnell while both guys have great submission skills Schnell showed a lot of boxing in his last bout which was very different but he held his own so the stand-up portion of this fight is where I'm most intrigued but when it goes to the ground I think Bonteron's going to get the better of the grappling transitions the exchanges and lock in a submission in the second round nice I I like that for a pay-per-view opener oh yeah now for featherweight, you got the veteran, Edson Barboza. Guy that's really trying to, to make that one last run here in a new division for him. Going up against Shane Burgos, who's really trying to just hit, go through the glass ceiling, if you will. Really trying to establish his name in this division once and for all. I mean, listen, we've got three even four, shit, maybe all five of these fights on this main car could turn into a fight of the night contender the way they are stylistically. But this one, woo boy, we've got two great strikers. The eh, relative newcomer when compared to Barboza, that is, and Shane Burgos. He's 13-2, and 6-2 in the UFC. He's got five KOTKOs, five submissions, six of those ten in the first round. Already has notable wins against Charles Rosa via TKO. Split decision over Cub Swanson and a TKO over Maquan Army Connie. And notable losses, the fight with Calvin Cater, an absolute banger that we reviewed in one of our classic pay-per-view reviews. That fight was back and forth, one-to-one seamlessly going into that third round before Calvin Cater finished him there. And then, 
the low-key fight of the year contender in 2020 with Josh Emmett. I think people forget that this fight even happened. A three-round war where Josh Emmett did get the victory over Burgos via decision. For Edson Barbosa, 21-9. He's 15-9 in the UFC. 12 KOTKOs, one submission. Seven of those 13 in the first round. Notable wins against guys like Ross Pearson, Bobby Green, Paul Felder, Anthony Pettis, and Gilbert Melendez. All those via decision. KO over one half of our co-main event, Benil Daryush. KO Dan Hooker and a decision over Makwan Armikani, his first win in his new home, the featherweight division. And notable losses, I mean the guys lost to Donald Cerrone via submission. Michael Johnson decision. The other half of the co-main event and Tony Ferguson via submission. He lost to Habib. He lost to Kevin Lee, Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder, and Dan Ige, those latter two, both via split decision. So he's always in wars. He's been there and done that with the who's who of the lightweight division. And now here he is in his third fight in the featherweight division, three straight ranked opponents. What can you not love about Edson Barboza? Yeah, I want to start with Barboza, actually, in my in my kind of analysis of this fight. Uh, if you look at that fight he had with Dan Ige that kind of welcomed him, I believe that's, that was his welcome fight to the featherweight division. Yeah. Um, look at what Dan Ige's been doing since then. I thought Barboza won that fight, and it's just kind of crazy that Ige is really looking like he's primed to make a pretty big run here soon, considering the win he just had. Yeah. And the performances he's really been having since that Barboza fight. So Barboza could very well be undefeated in this division and with two strong wins i mean that performance with Ige was good it was a very close fight i mean it could have went either way that army amir khani fight definitely won that barboza looked very strong in however burgos is a game opponent man i love hurricane it's, shane and you look at it like this this guy's got two losses but they're two losses where it's like i mean the guy came to fight yeah. though talking about two fight of the night contenders two fight of the year contenders the guy always comes to fight but sometimes it can be to his detriment so i think that's where his stylistically gets interesting is if this fight stays on the feet while i i believe shane burgos is a good enough striker he's a he's a good high volume striker edson barboza is so electric on the feet And considering the risk-taking that Burgos has shown in the past that got him finished by Calvin Cater, that's nearly gotten him finished by Josh Emmett and guys like that, I worry about him on the feet with that risk-taking, how fast Barbos is. I just worry about him getting caught. However, Burgos also has an underrated ground game, and I definitely think that that's going to be his route to victory if he can secure those takedowns or at least threaten them enough to where Barboza has to be more limited in his offensive output. I believe Burgos has it in him to get it done, though. I'm going to side with him here. I think he will wrestle quite a bit in this fight, which might surprise some people. I'm going Shane Burgos, and I'm going via decision. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm going Burgos' decision as well. It's crazy, man, when you talk about a guy like Edson. Burgos has such an uh, such a high output. He just keeps coming and coming and coming. His cardio is great for being a striker with the pace that he sets. Barboza, while he's a great striker, is very patient with his counter striking. But when he lands, that shit hurts. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has spinning back kick KOs, knee to the body KOs, leg kick finishes, body kick finishes. You name it, he's finished people with all limbs of his body. I think he's even headbutted someone once. No, I'm just kidding. He's not a cheater. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying. This dude is straight up dangerous. It's a huge test for Burgos, and it's one I think he's going to pass. I am intrigued, just like you said, if he does choose to grapple. It could be very interesting because we've seen Edson struggle there in the past. He's shown some green uh, areas, good areas, I should say, with his grappling as well. I think this is a great fight. It's an important fight for both guys to crack into that top 10. Shane is number 9, technically, but, you know, this would be really the biggest win of his career in terms of name value outside of a guy like Cub Swanson. So uh, I'm very excited for this one. But Burgos, via decision, and the biggest win of his career. Nice. like that we're on the same page for that one. And if you also would like to be on the same page with that one, go read Dominic's article over at Overtime Heroics. He previewed this very fight. So you can see everything he just said, 
and more. it on a little bit in yeah. words. Yeah, yeah. However, third fight of the night, women's flyweight division. Important fight. Yeah, Caitlin Chukagian, the one that won't go away. Gosh, she just keeps fighting all the time. Yeah, she just keeps fighting. She keeps somehow holding on to that top of the yeah. top of the top ladder two, status. Top three. She's going up against a very promising up and comer though in Vivian Era Yujo. Yes. So Caitlin, as Noah's mentioned, she's been at the top for years, really, at this point, ever since the division has started, and she's still there. Now she's fifteen and four. She's eight and four in the UFC. She's got two KOT KOs, one submission, so only three finishes. Two of those uh, are in the first round. But, man, you look at her notable wins. And for a division that's still relatively new, she's fought and beat almost everybody. I mean, we're talking Lauren Murphy, who's looking prime for a title shot soon. Uh, Irina Aldana, Alexis Davis, Joanne Calderwood, Jennifer Maya, who has fought for a title. Antonina Shevchenko, the sister of the queen, Valentina. And then her most recent win against Cynthia Calvillo, all of those via decision. And then notable losses, Liz Carmouche, a former title challenger. Jessica I, former title challenger. Valentina, that was in a title fight. She got TKO'd there. And then uh, got the body shot KO by Jessica Andrade, which was brutal. But then bounced back with a win literally right after it. So she never quits. She's always in tough fights. But Vivian is an up-and-comer that is very, I think, has a very bright future. She's 10-2. and two. Four and one in the UFC. She's got three KOTKOs, four submissions, four of those seven coming in the first round. Already has notable wins against Alexis Davis, Montana De La Rosa, and Roxanne Modafferi, all via decision. And the lone loss in the UFC was to Jessica I uh, via decision. So both of them share similar losses to the same woman, both via decision. <sighs> Chukagian, a great. She's great at utilizing her. Uh, length. She's 5'9", and she has, just continues to progress and use her reach even better. Vivian, really as well-rounded as they come, but a great grappler and showed that against Roxanne Mataferi. I'm curious to see what you think is going to happen in this one. It's hard to tell. It really is because just when I think Chukagian might be ready to kind of give up that spot at the top, she just wins. <laughs> I mean, to put it bluntly. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because that title fight with uh, Shevchenko was so lopsided. I mean, she got absolutely dominated. Now, don't get me wrong, Andrade, we just saw she just had the same treatment. So really, it's just Shevchenko is just another level above the rest of the competition of this division. But, you know, it is very tempting for me to try to side with someone like Vivian. Because she's a fresh face. She's someone climbing the ranks right now. She hasn't fought Shevchenko before. And she does have a high finishing rate yeah. for those women's divisions. That's always something that appeals to me. But if you really look at her UFC performances, outside of her debut where she did get a knockout win over Toledo Bernardo, it's been decision wins all the way. So she's she's definitely implemented her grappling-heavy strategy into the UFC, but it's worked very well. Roxanne Bonaferi... You know, you can say whatever you want about Roxanne, but the woman doesn't get dominated very often. Yeah, she's a tough she, fight for anyone, man. She got dominated by Vivian in that fight. That's the thing about the difference here is when I when I see Vivian perform, I see her dominate her opponents. I see her really force her will on them. With Chukagian, I see her win a lot of fights. I don't really see her dominate them. I don't really see her, I guess... You know, she does her finishing capabilities are not very strong. Three wins via finish out of fifteen wins. She she tends to kind of win fights, but not win fights, if that makes sense. So because of that, I am gonna I'm gonna go with my my heart in this one. I'm gonna go with Vivian Arayujo and again I'm gonna go via decision. I'm I'm with you. I think we're three for three right now. I'm going Vivian as well. As I already mentioned at the top of this one, I think she has a very bright future. We could see, you know, a future title challenger even out of her. I've been really impressed in her young five-fight career in the UFC thus far. And to come in, get a main card slot against a former title challenger, a top three uh, woman in Chukagian, 
This is her coming out party. Caitlyn's had that opportunity already, you know, but Vivian hasn't, and this is going to be it for her. Now she she was on a main card with Roxanne. Now she's on a pay-per-view main card here. I think she gets it done via decision. The biggest win of her career skyrockets into that top three, and who knows what could be next for her. Well said. Co-main event of the evening. Oh, boy. couple of top ten lightweights. Tony Ferguson looking to make one more run in this division and he's going up against Benil Dariush who is trying to make a name for himself with Tony here one of the best lightweights of all time versus one of the most underrated lightweights of all time Noah <laughs> Tony Ferguson is 25 and 5 the boogeyman he's 15 and 3 in the UFC Need us forget the 12 fight win streak that he went on unbeaten for like what seven, eight years, something crazy. He's got 12 KOTKOs, eight submissions, nine of those 20 finishes in the first round. Notable wins against guys like Eve Edwards, Glyson Tebow, Edson Barbosa, Lando Venata, those latter three all via submission. A decision win over RDA, submitted Kevin Lee, as we talked about. Then back to back TKOs, Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone. The only three losses he's had in the UFC, Michael Johnson. That's one of Noah's favorite fun facts, if you guys ever get to talk to him about that. Via decision, got TKO'd in the interim title fight with Justin Gaethje last May. And then, as we all know, lost to the main event. Uh, guy fighting for the belt in Charles Oliveira got dominated, which that's kind of weird. Because he, he took some damage against Gaethje, right? We know this. But he had his moments as well, and damn near finished Gaethje with that crazy uppercut. But when he fought Oliveira in December, it was very odd. You don't see performances like that out of Tony. And maybe that's more to Oliveira's credit. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I digress. Benil Dariush, on the other hand, he's 24 and 20 and 4 and 1, I should say. 14, 4 and 1 in the UFC. He's got 5 KOTKOs, 8 submissions, 8 of those 13 in the first round. Notable wins. Anthony Rocco Martin via submission. Diego Ferreira, twice, both via decision. Jim Miller, Michael Johnson, he KO'd James Vick. Tiago Moises, which is looking like a great win. We love Tiago Moises the way he's been looking recently. He submitted Drew Dober. He submitted Frank Camacho. KO'd Drakkar Close in an insane fight that Noah loves an talking insane, about. Insane. It, literally one punch. He fell against the cage, walked off. It was crazy. Mouthpiece went flying out. Mouthpiece flying. And then the spinning back fist against Scott Holtzman KO. He literally had two back-to-back KO of the year contenders in the same year. And then notable losses, Michael Chiesa, he got submitted. He got KO'd by Edson Barboza, as we mentioned. And then Alexander Hernandez via KO. But has not lost since that Hernandez fight. He's coming into this on a six-fight win streak. People, we got to put some respect on Benil Dariush's name. That's why this fight's so tough to really preview. Is you, know, you set it up perfectly. You got one of the most accomplished lightweights of all time, who may or may not be at the very end here, going up against one of the most underrated lightweights of all time, who might be hitting his biggest stride of his career. So it's again, it's that we talk about this all the time. The, those those fights that are. So hard to predict, but we love to watch where two guys, it's huge for them. The biggest fights of their career for potentially way different reasons. Tony Ferguson, back-to-back losses after that huge winning streak he was on. And for the better part of, I guess, eight rounds, he lost the majority of them. Yeah. However, I still look at that Gaethje fight as I think that that was more... It became, it weared on him more in the later rounds, but for the first two, maybe three rounds, I mean, Tony was very much in that fight. Oh, yeah, like very said, nearly finished it. But yeah. rounds four and then ultimately five when he got stopped, got a little little one-sided. Yeah. That Charles Oliveira fight, though, we gave him the Joey for performance of the year for a reason. Yeah. Charles Oliveira brought the book of how to beat Tony Ferguson, read it twice, And implemented every bit of that strategy into that fight. That was the one. I mean, I've never seen Tony be beaten so one-sided, so helplessly. I mean, every single aspect of that fight, he lost. The arm in round one, I mean, nearly broke his arm, and he still wouldn't tap. It was disgusting. 
I mean, Charles Oliveira, I mean, that was the closest. I'm not going to say Tony would ever quit. But that was the closest that I could see a man like that just sitting there. I saw it in his eyes a little bit where it's like. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's something you never thought you would see yeah. in Tony Ferguson. For Benil Dariush, he is on the best streak of his career. Uh, that win over Diego Fajera back in February was a good one. It, it was a split decision, but I thought he clearly won that fight. Um, and then he has been highlight real KOs have really helped garner him this fight, you know, over Drocker Close and Scott Holtzman. It's just, in theory, if, if Tony Ferguson comes in here and performs the way Tony Ferguson has looked before, yeah, then to me, there's no question he should win this fight. Just stylistically, I don't think that a prime Tony is a great matchup for Benil Dariush. Or anyone. Just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, or anybody. Yeah. However, I, I can't say with cop. I, I definitely don't think this is a prime Tony Ferguson anymore, but is it, are we so far gone from prime Tony that he's not capable of beating Benil Dariush, who is a great fighter, who may even be, I may even, as much as I love the guy, I might be underrating him a bit as well. I look at him as a top 10, but I mean, with the win here, he's knocking on the door top five in yeah. my way, which would be just very surprising for me. I don't know. Do you want to you give some, some thoughts before I make a prediction? First off, this is another fight of the night contender. This is going to be beautiful chaos. Pure oh, I want to say this is my fight of the night pick, by the way. I agree. One million percent. Uh, as much as I wanted to go Burgos Barboza, I even wrote a freaking article on it. This fight right here, this is nothing but violence, blood, guts, grit. This is the fight of the night pick for me as well. We've talked about this. Daryush hits people a lot, but Daryush gets hit a lot. Now, Tony's been getting hit a lot too recently, which might make make it even easier to pick this as fight of the night. But I just think that Tony's just pacing. I mean, Benil doesn't really get tired either. But he gets a little more tired. You know, we've seen that yeah. fight with the hair that went three rounds. If you're comparing his cardio to Tony, it's yeah. no contest. Exactly. And I honestly just see this, that playing the biggest factor. I think both guys have their moments. I think Daryush lands some big shots on Tony. Could even see this being one-to-one going into round three. It's going to be that razor thin, that competitive. <laughs> but that's when the boogeyman's going to come creeping in. I think he's going to be able to drop Daryush, hurt him bad. And finish him in the third round via submission. The Ooh, boogeyman, submission. the boogeyman bounces back at UFC 262. That's interesting. That would be the first submission loss of uh, Dariush's career, or no, second outside of Kiesa. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that'd be a second. Um, yeah. See that. So here's the thing: is uh, people don't realize, but Dariush is actually his most uh, reputable trait or a skill is his wrestling. Oh, yeah. His BJJ uh, that's, that's, is awesome. That's definitely his background, but he doesn't use it that much. You know, he, he prefers to kind of – he does prefer to kind of get into a war of fists, if you will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, at this point in Tony's career, that might be the best kind of fight for him going up against someone who's such a good wrestler. You might just prefer to be like, let's bang. <laughs> You know, Dom, I'm, I'm going to agree with you in this in this assessment. Um, I'm also going to go Tony Ferguson. A lot of this might be wishful thinking, and I, and I do think this fight's going to be a war. I think Dariush is going to surprise some people. I think for others, he's going to really kind of climb out of the shadows of the lightweight division. But ultimately, I think Tony gets it done. I think Tony turns back the clock maybe for one last time or yeah. maybe for – to show people he's not done yet, whatever it might be. I am going <laughs> to, this is my fourth straight decision, but I am going to go Tony Ferguson via decision. I mean, this, this fight could easily, someone could easily get stopped in here, but yeah, yeah. Um, this fight could end in the first 10 seconds. I, yeah, but uh, I, I have a feeling that I, I don't necessarily believe in Tony Ferguson's. I don't know if he can really knock out Benil Dariush. I definitely think his output could overwhelm Dariush. Yeah. And that's why, a submission win could uh, make some sense here. Uh, it just remains to be seen, but I'm going to go with the decision, Tony Ferguson. I think it's going to be a war back and forth, two rounds to one, super close. I mean, can you have a fight with two tougher guys going against each other? Like, 
I wish <clears throat> had they had the time, they could have made this five rounds. Like, yeah. oh my word. That, that's what I would have loved to see. It's crazy how I used to hate that idea. Now I'm like gung-ho for it. I'm <laughs> calling shots. All these people, hey, you guys need yeah. five for five rounds. But I can't wait for that co-main event. But uh, there's another big lightweight fight happening. Has there been a more 50-50 fight that we've previewed on here than this one? I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately in some of our preview episodes where I'm like, man, this is one of the hardest fights I've had to do on the podcast. We've been doing this since last August. <laughs> this is top three. Top three hardest fight I've <laughs> yeah. ever had to do. So we have Charles Oliveira. As you mentioned, this will be his 27th UFC fight. Tw- uh, 28th. Tw- it'll be his 28th. Yeah. Okay. So this will be his 28th UFC fight. If he wins, he ties Michael Bisping's record for most fights prior to winning or fighting for a UFC belt. I don't know. I think it's just fighting for a UFC yeah, belt. I don't know the verbiage. <laughs> but uh, he's going up against Michael Chandler, who's getting his first UFC title shot in his second UFC title or UFC fight. Excuse yeah. me. So go ahead. Roll out the red carpet for these guys. <sighs> this is a hell of a main event, man. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Charles Oliveira. We love this guy. 30 wins, 8 losses, 1 no contest. 18-8 and with 1 no contest in the UFC. He's got 8 KOTKOs, 19 submissions. That is 27 out of 30 via finish. 14 of those finishes in the first round. He's went back and forth. I shouldn't say back and forth. Eh. He's fought featherweight. He's fought at lightweight. He's fought everywhere. He's got wins against Jeremy Stevens via decision. He's beaten Nick Lentz twice, once via submission, once via TKO. Now we got four straight submissions here. Miles Jury, Will Brooks, Clay Guida, Jim Miller. He KO'd Jared Gordon. He submitted Kevin Lee, as we talked about earlier. And then, as we just mentioned, the decision over Tony Ferguson. Charles Oliveira's true coming out party to the not only... I mean, the MMA community knew how good this guy was, but the casual audience learned who Charles Oliveira was in that win there. Now, again, I said he's got eight losses. They're all pretty notable, if you ask me. He's been submitted by Jim Miller, TKO'd by Cerrone, KO'd by Cub Swanson, went to a decision with Frankie Edgar, TKO'd by Max Holloway, submitted by Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas, and got TKO'd by Paul Felder. So when he loses, he gets finished. Keep that in mind. Michael Chandler, 22-5, and 1-0 in the UFC, but we're talking about a former Bellator champion, the face of Bellator for years, really. He's got 10 KO, TKO, 7 submissions, 13 of those 17 in the first round. Notable wins against Patricky Fajera, Pitbull's, well, they're both called Pitbull, but Patricio's brother, the current double champ in Bellator, Patricky, beat him twice, once via decision, once via KO. Submitted Eddie Alvarez. He's beaten Benson Henderson twice, once via decision, once via KO. And then in his debut in the UFC, KO'd Dan Hooker in a damn sure impressive fashion. Notable losses. He has lost to Eddie Alvarez via split decision. Uh, Lost to Will Brooks twice, once via decision, once via TKO. And then lost to the other pit bull, Patricio Ferreira. That's who took his belt uh, I think it was two years ago to the or to the day on May 11th, actually. So, uh, yeah, he got TKO'd there. <clears throat> the dark horse of the lightweight division, the guy from the other organization, here they are clashing for the vacant lightweight belt. We're getting a new champion, Noah, but who's the new champion going to be? Oh, oh, can I just add one more thing? Yeah, yes, you can. Someone's getting finished. Yeah, And I'm going to be honest, although I had a hard time predicting the winner, I'm 92% sure this fight isn't even getting out of the first round. You just took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I This fight on paper is 50-50 for me. I could see just as many. If you 100 times these two fought, I think 50 times Oliveira would win, 50 times Michael Chandler would win. But I could tell you probably 100 or 99 of those ain't going out of the first yeah. round. That's just the way it is. These guys get in there, and they like to get it done quick. And also, they have at times gotten caught pretty quick, <laughs> as on, on the other side. So let's start with Charles here. Um, I was very curious in the buildup to this fight. You know, when I get on MMA Twitter and whatnot, I was, I was curious to see who 
what people were going to be kind of over analyzing or over evaluating in these two fighters since this fight is so close on paper. And uh, for Charles, I think people were overlooked or looking too much into his yeah. early losses and the fact that he, you know, early on, and I was, this is something I said in the preview for his fight with Tony Ferguson, because I predicted Tony to win that fight. I said that when Charles gets beat up a little bit, he kind of quits. He kind of, he, he's, he can't, he doesn't take a lot of damage before he kind of just is done. However, that's more early Charles Oliveira, the jiu-jitsu specialist who didn't know a, a combination on the feet that he could remember more than once. I mean, we're talking about a guy that came into the UFC, he was 20. He was 20 yeah. years old. Yeah, He's been exactly. in the UFC since 2010. He's only 31 right now. It's crazy. No, the, the career arc for Charles Oliveira has been incredible. The fact that he's done it all in the biggest promotion in the world is also incredible. You know, a lot of these early losses were against the tough opponents, too. I mean, as a 20, young, early 20s, he's fighting guys like Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar, Donald Cerrone, Jim Miller. I mean, come on. These are guys that were well-established at that point. Oh, yeah. However, in his later career he's had, you know, again, he hasn't lost since the Paul Felder TKO at UFC 218. He did take a little bit of, he's had some, like, competition, a little lower competition. You know, he started with the win over Clay Guida. Guida, a legend, but at this point in his career, not exactly a, a, the highest caliber of opponent. Um, wins over Jim Miller at that point in Jim Miller's career. David Tamer, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon. These aren't super, I guess, impressive name value wins, but again, he's finishing all these fights. Yeah. yeah. So he's showing that he is a level above. Then you get to the Kevin Lee fight where, again, he dominates Kevin Lee for the better part of three rounds, showing just how good he is, and then ultimately completely one-sided beating of Tony Ferguson. I loved, I love Charles Oliveira, man. I really do. But Michael Chandler is also just so good. I mean, we don't, we're not as familiar with him. Again, we, we haven't been watching Bellator that long, if at all, and um, we know how good he is, though. He's a great wrestler. He was His credentials in wrestling are off the charts. But he doesn't use it that much. He really doesn't. He loves to use those heavy hands and knock out his opponents. So that's where this fight gets interesting because Charles Oliveira's stand-up has come such a long way. Le- to where he, can really, yeah. he can really do damage on the feet. But he's still most comfortable when he's pulling guard, when he's getting his submissions, working his jiu-jitsu in those scrambles and whatnot. I, I literally want to flip a coin right now, but I'm, we I'm, should. Gonna, I'm just going to, I'm going to go with my heart on this one. Should I? Probably not, but I'm going to go with my heart. I think Charles Oliveira gets it done. I think he, he climbs the highest mountain Finally, he gets over the hump in his 28th UFC fight. And I think he gets it done via a first-round submission, the first <laughs> submission loss of Michael Chandler's MMA career. See, I'm going the uh, opposite way in terms of oh. uh, I'm going with my mind and against my heart because, man... That power that I saw from Chandler against Hooker, yeah. to finish Hooker like that, he's lightning fast on the feet too. Like I know Oliveira has grown leaps and bounds in the striking. I don't know if he's at the level that Chandler is, especially after what I just saw in January. And we've seen Oliveira get hurt before, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think we see, honestly, kind of a similar knockout as to the Hooker one. I think Michael Chandler... Mr. Bellator, Mr. Nature Boy, Ric Flair, cutting promos in the post-fight Octagon press conference, gets the first round KOTKO, and all of a sudden the UFC is like, damn, wish we had this guy sooner. But uh, I can't wait for this fight. I love Oliveira so much, I just couldn't go with my heart this afternoon. I gotta go Chandler. I think he gets it done. And um, either way, man... I'm. This is one of those fights because we hate when like our favorite guys fight or whatever. Now obviously we love Oliveira, but we don't have a necessarily have a dog, and we just love both guys. 
Yeah. We can sit back. We don't care what the result is because we're happy either way. That's what this fight is here. And really, the co-main event as well. This card, man. Yeah. Even though I said I'm going with my heart, that's more like, I don't know. It's like in my head, I see Chandler's clear route to victory a little more. But my heart's like, man, you know, the, the grind yeah. that Oliveira had to go on to get this opportunity. I'm like, I just see, you know, him just really putting it all together right here. One time performance of, you know, performance of his life kind of thing. But if Michael Chandler wins, I'm still going to be happy for the guy. I love Michael Chandler. I really, I, I think uh, he's gotten a lot of unnecessary hate. Yeah. And, um, I think he's finally starting to grow on people. He what? Finally starting to grow on people yes. day by day, you know? Yes, his personality is very just hard to hate. Yeah. It really is. And whoever wins his belt, I look forward to seeing them potentially fight the winner of uh, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor 3 or yep. maybe Justin Gaethje, whatever it might be. I, I think that uh, the winner of this could be champion for a long time. Yeah, I do agree. I think both these guys are very dangerous and tough stylistic matchups for these other top-ranked fighters. We could see another multi-fight reign, just potentially. But that's going to wrap up our preview for UFC 262. Check out these fights Saturday night. Dominic, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. What are the times? Um, okay, well, pay-per-view, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> I can get that one off my chest early. We've got some fight pass prelims. What do we got on there? How many fights? We got three Wait, fights. Did you just say fight pass prelims? Well, they're still labeled that way on the UFC app. <laughs> or ESPN+. Plus. I know a lot of us have that these days. We got both because, you know, we're the podcast guys. Anyway, yes, yes, 6.30 p.m. for the early prelims. 8 p.m. on ESPN for the four-fight pre- main prelim card featuring Andrew Lee and Antonina Shevchenko. Lando Venata's fighting. Jacques Souza's fighting. So good prelims. And then 10 p.m. Pay-per-view Eastern Standard Time. I'm telling you, if you're a fight fan, casual or not, you probably should be tuning in uh, this Saturday. Yeah. Now we got to talk about next week. So Monday, obviously we'll be recapping... All the action that we just previewed here, along with any of the prelims that stick out to us and everything in between, that'll be on Monday's results and recap episode. And then Wednesday. Wednesday. Obviously, this episode will be a shit ton extra special. (laughs) Just a bit extra special. Just a little. And and you know we if you if you want to know why. We've been throwing some, uh, I don't know if you want to call them teasers, or we're just basically telling you what we're doing. At this but, point, <laughs> you might be a little dumb if you don't know. <laughs> but we love so you. Go, go follow our uh, Below Average Joe's Twitter and Instagram, which Dom will plug here in a second. But I just want to say Wednesday, we're doing a classic pay-per-view review. And since it is our episode 100... A big milestone for us. It only makes sense that our classic pay-per-view review be UFC 100. Oh, man. Two title fights. One of the best cards of all time. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I'm going to toot our own horn here as a podcast. When we have like these milestone episodes or whatever or big things that happen, we really time it up perfectly and segue it good with episodes. And this, this coming Wednesday is no different. Episode 100. UFC 100, and uh, uh, you'll see. You'll see, <laughs> then, literally. <laughs> nice, I like that. And then Friday, it'll be preview time again for uh, UFC Vegas 27. Seven. Our boy's back. <laughs> Cody Garbrandt is back, going up against Rob Font. It's a tough fight. It's a great fight. Mm. And like we mentioned earlier, Yan Nan, Carlos Barza, Jack Hermanson, Edmund Shabazian, along with some other action. It's going to be a great fight night. So be on the lookout for that one on Friday. Until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at decently 14 Find the <clears throat> podcast, more importantly, on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA 
podcast. Noah, get them on out of here. <laughs> yeah, so if, uh, for me, uh, follow me on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore. If you follow me there, check my bio. There's a link to our link tree there. Uh, that provides you with links to all of the social medias we just mentioned for Below Average Shows, along with like the YouTube channel, uh, the Anchor page, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. They're all linked on there, so make sure to check those out. But again, just follow me on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore. But that's it. We're out. We'll see you all on Monday.